And welcome everyone to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host Callahan, and today we are going to be talking about table politics with the host of the Miscast podcast, Drake Sasser. There was a lot of discussion on Twitter this past week about table politics and if you should lie at an EDH table and what lying is and all of that stuff. And Drake is here to help clear up some of the discourse with me today. Before we dive into that, however, I do want to take a moment and congratulate friend of the show, Mike Sad from Playing With Power and winning the Punt City Tournament in Philadelphia yesterday. Mike was on Winota Stacks and did honestly one hell of a job making it to the finals. Great job, buddy. Also, congratulations to our two Sculpty boys who made the cut at Punt City. Ian finished in the top 16 playing Winota as well. And Charles finished in the top four playing Ow the Dawn Sky or Ao or Ow, however you're supposed to say that. I'm not quite sure. I've heard it both ways. But great job, you two. We're really proud of you. And, uh, Looking forward to the next event and uh, rooting you guys on. I also want to thank our patrons for all the support you give. Your support goes towards continuing this show here. If you would like to join the Sculpty family and you enjoy what we do here, please head on over to patreon.com slash the mind sculptors and you can find out more information there. It would be time check in on our Apple podcast ratings, but however, there were no new Apple podcast ratings at all. And we were, we were off for a week. So there was no new ratings in the past two weeks. So I don't have anything uh, to read for you, which uh, is just an absolute shame. So if you haven't already, please leave a review on Apple podcasts and we'll make sure to read your five-star review, hopefully on air. With all that said, let's jump into my conversation with Drake. So, uh, basically, the reason we're talking today is something you've already talked about on a podcast and already given context to, uh, but we're going to do it again because, you know, we need it, uh, is basically... uh, the TLDR is you and Mikey have a podcast called The Miscast, uh, which is a wonderful show. You should go listen to it. And before we even get into the discourse that came from this, um, just kind of explain your point and what you were talking about and like that whole conversation. Sure. Yeah. So it kind of started from a mentality thing that I've noticed in pods that I've personally been playing. Right. Um, I've seen cases where people are afraid to look dumb. So when they make an attack mm-hmm. and someone's like, what, why are you attacking me or whatever? Like people actually buy that. And that's not the experience I've had in pods that I've played. Like, if I'm playing a pod with like testing group, right? I put a testing group together for Punt City. These are people that, you know, are, I either know from 60 card spaces or I trust their opinions very, very, very much. And it's, you know, small, keeping it small. So we keep our ideas together and cohesive. Um, we've seen yep. how things that escape go uh, when we're playing those <laughs> games and like we make an attack and people are like, what? Why are you making that attack? Our immediate response is an explanation. Like we're immediately right. like we're attacking you because this, 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 even though they have ad nauseum, you know, I think that they're further from that and they're further behind. Whereas you're more likely maybe you have a treason soaker. Like there's actual like immediate logic. Whereas mm-hmm. I've seen in other spaces that exact same kind of interaction will happen and people immediately second guess themselves and they'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And that was like shocking to me. This is not something that 
I would see as much in the one v one spaces because it doesn't really come up. You know, if you're if you're just a jerk to right. somebody, you'd be like, why are you making this play? You know, you don't owe them any explanation. Like, play your cards. Right. But like, because there's discussions and table talks a part of CEDH, that's something that I I needed to be more conscious of. So anyway, this came up. I told Mikey, like, let's do a show about this because there's been a ton of discussion, especially after Tier One Con. Um, about table talk and stuff like that. I think it's time we we did an episode about it, at least talk like yeah. high level. And we ended up touching on the tweet Ken made about, I, I don't want to go into all of it again, but basically there was yeah, a pod yeah. that intentionally drew to start another game because there was kind of a, a standoff situation. Like there was known information, like guaranteed known information from opposition agent that a player could stop a win, but they would die to let a geo player if they stopped that win. Theoretically, I mean, we're not even talking about things they could draw and what have you. There's so much more context even I don't have, which is why it's so wild to me that this happened. But basically the whole pod was like, oh, I don't know. Well, we can't really figure this out. So what if we just draw and played another game? And that's something they can do. It's legal and it makes sense. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. And obviously it's a talking point. And right. Ken made the suggestion that the Najila player should have offered a deal, should have said, you know, something along the lines of, you know, if you stop this win, I won't attack you for three turns. It's three, three draw steps at an answer to my board slash a, a win of your own. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can start the start the negotiations there because, of course, you can't offer anything out of the game. That's literally right. collusion, bribery. You're d- disqualified. Literally so, illegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like you can say you can say these things in game that I won't attack you if you stop this win. That's something that is legal right. to say. And I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. But I think people and I think people would buy it, but I don't think people should buy it because I think people right. are too trusting. And this is where the the out of context statement where I'm like, yeah, if I'm the Najeo player and I make that statement, I would probably do it with the full intent to just kill them on the next turn. Like I would just attack them. Like what? what mm-hmm. is the downside? Like I win the game. Right. Now. Awesome. We're done with this pot. I'm going to play the finals now or I don't have to replay another game. Exactly. There's no accountability from pod to pod. And that plays into the prisoner dilemma thing that we've talked about on the miscast before as well, where because there's no accountability, you know, you don't have to play into the pot with these people. So you don't need to build any kind of rapport with these people. You mm-hmm. can just spite them at any point if you want to, unless there's any kind of insurance. Like if there's a win on the stack and you can say, you know, whatever, I have mind break trap and show them the mind break trap. You know, you can give guarantees um, for stuff like that. Whereas something as abstract as I won't attack you. Why should anybody believe that? This is the thing that I think is, is interesting because again, like, cause we got pitted on different sides, obviously. So this got like sparked a Twitter debate mm-hmm. um, about, you know, is, and I believe it was specifically is lying in CEDH okay or it like should you do that and it's interesting because one i it it just sounds like that's not entirely the context of what we were talking about um but also just like the the context of what number one how do we define lying because what your definition of like a lie is could from person to person can vary like vastly but so people started having this conversation about like sportsmanship and all of that. And for me, my, my perspective on it without even listening to the show. So I'm on, you know, I'm already part of the problem. Um, <laughs> true. true. I, I'm horrible at consistently consuming content, although I do enjoy your show a lot. Um, and 
my my whole take was is I was like, because and I believe you said you like referenced my survivor analogy uh, in the podcast is it's like lying is absolutely like a strategy that you can have. Like you can take that, you can use that to your advantage throughout a tournament. But and we even talked about this pre-show is that my my kind of take on that is, well, if you're lying in like the entire tournament after like two or three rounds. Word's going to spread. You've now lied to nine people and those nine people probably came with four or five other people. And uh, it's CEDH events are like about a hundred people. So, you know, you've now hurt your reputation in over a quarter of the play field. So you automatically make yourself an arch enemy. And that's why I was like, and I said very, like I was trying to say this very clearly, but I don't think I did a good job of articulating it effectively on Twitter. Shocker. Um, (laughs) Hard to do. But is that, I think in scenarios like you're talking about, like I, I see that perspective as being like beneficial within the moment of making that like split decision to be like, this is my window versus using that as a strategy overall, because I don't think that's a good long-term strategy. And I think that's where like the context is important because you're talking about it in a much more narrow we're in top 16. It's the difference between me making the final pot and not. And I'm talking about it over the course of a whole tournament, over the course of a whole tournament series, like reputations grow. And so sure you might like win this tournament if you lie through the whole thing, but are you going to win the next one? And then the one after that, if you continually do that, like people pick up on it. Um, And then you just, everybody's just like, Oh, the liars at our table. All right. All of our attacks go that way. All of our interaction goes that way. Yeah. Don't believe a word they say. Yep. Yeah. Don't believe a word they say. And that, and I think that's where some of the like miscommunication was coming on. So like, just like, I don't even know totally what uh, I'm getting at necessarily with that. Other than there's just some missing context from the discussion. Well, I think but, you're actually <laughs> approaching a really interesting point, right? Cause and this is something we talked about. Well, I, I mentioned I wanted to talk about pre-show, which is um, community perception of your table talk matters a lot. So yeah. uh, the example I used is in 1v1 formats. And this is something I don't know how much of your audience is even going to be aware of. But there's like some common tricks or whatever, like the pen trick or the, mm-hmm. the infamous um, settle the wreckage from LSV, where he was mm-hmm. like helping line up attacks and like making it look like he was going to use his mana to activate a token when instead he was going to cast settle the wreckage. Like all that yeah. kind of stuff is misdirection, right? Like that's not that is a it's form posturing. of lying in yeah. some way. Yeah, exactly. It is misdirection. You're acting. You're you know trying to convince your opponent that something's going to happen that it's not based on past interactions where you were actually helping them in some in instances where it would help you. Right. So there's a rapport being built even in one V one formats where people do that all the time. Like you respect your opponent enough to be like, all right, you see that this is a thing. Let's speed this up here. Here's the token. You can help line stuff up. That happens some amount of the time, but you know, the one time that you're like, Oh, I can, I can get them here by, you know, giving them the token and being like, making them think to make this attack and then just settle them and the game's over. Like, it's 
that same element is at work, but it is less prominent in 1v1 magic. And the perception of that stuff in 1v1 magic is that it is extremely impressive. It is already mm-hmm. very hard to play magic at a high level. It's hard to pick the right deck, tune the, tune the deck to be where you want it to be, show right. up, you know, with the right cards and then actually play the cards optimally, like, you know, near impossible. It's hard to do all that and still identify opportunities where making those kinds of bluffs right. is going to be beneficial. So yeah. when people do it and it works, it's very impressive. That is something that right. is held with high regard in the 1v1 community and is held as something you should be doing if you're good enough to do it. Before we like get too far, I do want to like stop and just like for some of the people who don't know what the pen trick is, like explain to that to to the listeners exactly what that is. Yeah. So the pen trick's like kind of the exact same thing where like somebody's lining up attacks and you like pick up your pen as if you're ready to change your life total. And like as if you're not going to block. Right. That's the implication that whatever they're attacking with, you're not going to block and you're going to you know, change your life total. So you pick up your pen and act like you're about to change your life total. Then when they finalize the attack, you put your pen down and cast something or make some kind of change that is not just taking the damage like you were Mm -hmm. implying with your body language. So it is a form, once again, of misdirection um, with your body language by picking up your pen and acting like you're about to change your life total when, in fact, you are going to do something before uh, damage is going to happen. It's interesting. So what has been your experience with those sort of tricks in the groups that you've played with then? Um, because that's also something we talked a little bit about pre-show be- where it kind of varies. Um, yeah, so I don't do stuff like that in general with like when I'm playtesting with my friends. I'm not there to right. learn if I can do that. Right. It's not that's not a skill I actively practice. I practice right. trying to figure out what the right deck is, what the right cards are, trying to get like meaningful data about the cards as they play out. And that's usually what I do with my testing groups and my friends. Like sometimes whatever, if I'm trying to be showy in a match, a bunch of people are watching right. all clown around. But like for the most part, like that kind of stuff is very much reserved for high pressure situations where there's an opportunity for that to present itself. Like, first of all, you have to think someone's going to bite. You have to see it as something that's actually value added. Like, does it change the way they're going to play? Like, there's a lot of factors before you'd even consider doing something like this. And I don't do it in testing pods really much at all. Obviously, Mm -hmm. table talk is a part of my testing pods for CEDH though. Like when Mm -hmm. I'm sitting down, like I can't, you can't just play without table talk. That's not even well, and close yeah, to that's, realistic. That's also one of the things that's been interesting in this discussion where uh, it also brought up on Twitter, the whole like topic of table talk and whether mm-hmm. or not like you should in a game of CEDH. And I'm like, I don't know how you don't right? Like how do you not lose to the Kark deck unless you are sitting there like going, Hey, they're about to cast Sakashima. I know you have a removal. I don't have anything. We should probably deal with this. Like, right. And that's, that's where it's very important. Right. And this is kind of, well, one of the conclusions that I want to draw is that you should be picking your table talk spots in the exact same way. Um, Mm -hmm. Think of it as like a comparison. You use survivor. I use like the mafia games, like werewolf secret, Hitler, all those kinds of things. Those like secret identity games. Those are very, very indicative of spots where, Like you are the whole game is table talk. So obviously it's isolated, but it's the same idea where a lot of times you want to be just telling the truth. Like you don't really want to lie most of the time until it's very important to do so until there's an opening for you to win the game by whatever mechanic wins you the game by convincing someone of something that's not true. 
And that is something that exists in CDH pods as well. Most of the time, the table talk I do at tables, and this is why Mikey and I talk on our show about how we don't really like politics much. Most of what I'm saying at a table is clarifying things. It's saying, Mm -hmm. hey, I think this wins the game. I'm pretty sure they can do this, this, this. Um, So that's just something to consider if you have interaction. Or I'll say something like, I don't have an interaction. I can back you up and I'll show like a SWAT or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I talk very honestly and back up honestly, because I think those are the kinds of table talk people should believe stuff that's mm-hmm. actually true and is verifiably true. And so those are the kinds of things that I do just naturally in pods. I don't really do as much of the like making deals or trying to lie. And I don't talk nonstop because if you talk nonstop, people are not going to listen to you. They're just gonna be like, please mm-hmm. shut up. I'm trying to play the game. And that goes right. back to what I was saying before, right? We're just playing the card. This format's hard. Just playing the cards yeah. is hard. So like if you're talking nonstop, people are just going to get mad at you. So right. I do think people tend to weigh harder on talking than they should, given that it's not something you should do very often, but it's powerful when done effectively. Yeah. Well, and there's I I talk about this in other shows, but like I I feel like especially like there are certain archetypes that require you to talk more than others. Like stacks, for instance, is an archetype in CEDH where I feel like you tend to need to talk more than the other players because the other players can very easily lose everybody the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree. So. When we're 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 looking at this, so like you're not just to clarify, right? You're not advocating that people should lie all the time, right? Like that's not that's not what I'm getting from you, at least. I don't think people should, but I also think a I think there's two other truths. I think people will. Like I think there are mm-hmm. people out there that want to just they want to be that super smart deceptive table talker and they're going to show up to every table trying to be tricksy and it, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a, mm-hmm. like a very like useful strategy to like take where you're just trying to trick people nonstop because you want to feel smart. But I think people will do that. And that's something right. to be aware of. I think there are people that will act like that and are going to talk more. There's going to be people that talk nonstop during a game and that's going to be annoying and it's not Mm -hmm. a good strategy, but people are going to do it. So like there is a range of approaches people are going to take when it comes to table talk and not all of it, even from the good players in CDH is going to align with what I think is correct, which is, you know, what I've said to you before, where I think most of what table talk should be is only clarifying questions where it's like, okay, the stack is this, 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 if you Mm -hmm. want to act, you should act now, like stuff like that. It should be just, clarification stuff, stuff that's truths and figuring out interaction. If you have a narrow piece of interaction, it might be time to talk so that you get another turn and like things like SWAT, mind break trap, stuff like that. That's where that comes up the most for me. And those, that's what most of my table talk looks like. There's a lot of it, but it's not as much like, Oh, if you remove this, I'll remove this. I don't make deals because I think there's little to no incentive, even in casual games for people to uphold the deal. They're like, why did you make that deal? You're a clown. Like, right. Uh, and I think that's the better approach. And I don't think I would accept deals in tournaments. Like if someone's like, Drake, if you do this, then then I'm going to do this. I'm like, uh, no, you, you can do that first and I'll reassess how my removal spell is going to line up. But like I'm not with no actual repercussion other than me whining about it for you making your move. Like I I'm not going to take your deal. And this is also part of why I wanted to have you on the show is because it was just like based on the conversation and previous conversations, I was like, I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. And I'm like, 
I, I don't think there is any like I, I play the exact same way when it comes to like the deal thing, right? Um the like one exception is for example, I had a game the other like literally just yesterday, somebody was playing a deck they had a uh, sort of fire and ice on a ragavan. I have Najila out with like two warriors that can, or four warriors that can block it. And then there was another player at the board at three life. We needed to get him to one. So he would die to his mana vault. And so basically he's sitting there and he's like, I don't have any open attacks with the SoFi and I can get him down to one if I attack. And I was like, I mean, and I know he's like low on cards. We still need to deal with the Hulk player sitting to my left. Um, and I'm hell bent with just Najila on the table. So I am doing nothing. So I was just like, I mean, if you swing at me, I won't block. Just don't point your like sort of fire and ice damage at me. As long as we're on the same page that we're dealing with the one player who like has to die this turn, they have Thoracle in hand. If it gets back around to them, that's fine. We can do that. It buys us a turn. That's fine. Like mm-hmm. that's like about as dealy as I get. Um, and I think even there, that's just like the board kind of figuring out how to not die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah that, that strikes me as different. I think the big difference for me, even though that is objectively a deal. So, you know, I can right. get roasted in the comments. Like, obviously I would do something <laughs> like that as well. Right. People are like, oh, Drake, you're an idiot. Checkmate. But like a big difference for this is that there's no understanding of like, changing the way you play across time right if you accept this deal that it's like if you're going to do this i need you to do this later like so much can change like that right. you shouldn't you shouldn't strap yourself in on something expecting to actually follow through given that so much can change you don't even know what people are holding like half the time people don't even have enough information because everyone has three to four cards in hand that could be anything to right. make a deal or feel like they need to make a deal unless they're getting bullied into it and so right. my my real gripe is that i think the discussion around deals is going to lead to more people getting scammed than not. And you should just do common sense plays. Like it's something that should resolve itself, right? Like it, it, right. it became this big discussion, right? This huge, like, Oh wow. Like, you know, <laughs> you are such a piece of scum and all this stuff. I'm like, sure. Okay. Whatever. I guess I'm willing to lie for money. You got me. I'm still willing to lie for money on this podcast. I'll be willing to lie for money on the next podcast. All right. Like that's where I'm at. If that's, if that's too much for you, that's Listen, across the line. Maybe this game's not for you. You know, I don't Listen, know. Raid shadow <laughs> legends. If you want to sponsor this show, I'll talk it up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So like, you know, when, when we get down to it, it's like I I wish everyone, you know, if the whole world could see things the way I see them and, you know, make plays that, you know, pass the sniff test and don't seem like you're getting scammed, like whatever. That's not the case. And people, because they're insecure or because they don't understand the entirety of the context of what's going on, I actually think I'm going to be more likely to be someone that says, I don't think you should take that deal because and I'll explain my yeah. per- 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 like, I think I'm going to find myself in that position more than someone offering deals or taking deals is going to be yep. someone trying to dispel deals because they're bad for me. Like if someone's not offering me a deal, like obviously that's bad for me and it's probably bad for the person that's getting offered the deal too. So like, being able to explain why is an advantage I actually have at attacking that strategy. And as a result, I do think it is going to be players that are less experienced 
that are going to get taken advantage of by this um, idea that you should be trying to offer deals. You should be trying to politic in that way when instead I think the best approach to table talk in general is, you know, like you said, trying to use our resources that are maybe a little bit more narrow in order to find the line that keeps the table alive. But that has a mutual right. beneficial, right? Like I'm right. just trying to survive. Like sometimes you can exploit it because you're like, I don't want to cast my pact, but like it's the same idea. Like, yeah, you have some room to get scammed and you do need to take that into consideration. But those like, I think that's the most tame variation of that kind of thing that can exist. And as a result, I think it's mostly the only variation of that kind of stuff that should exist is like keep the table alive uh, right. discussions that may result in some weird play. But some of the like really wild stuff, like just flat out not attacking when that's common sense to attack. Or, like that's what come on. That's a little far. think it's important to like point out the small ways that we already do kind of do like we, you said at the top of the show uh where you will sometimes just misrepresent like i have two mana just leaving two blue mana open so people res respect the mana drain or mm -hmm. people risk people aren't playing mana drain anymore uh opposition agent, fine example whatever. yeah opposition agent whatever how many times have you seen people with just a mana crypt and Hell, it could be a white before opposition agent was printed, right? Because yeah, people used to kind of respect David mind <laughs> sensor. Uh, people have mana crypt in a in a black, and people just will not crack their fetches, right? They'll they'll take an entire turn off, yeah, because they res are respecting the opposition agent. They don't you don't know they have that. Yeah, I mean, people do that same stuff in, in 1v1. And this is really, I think, I think you're like very, very close to the real problem with trying to define where the moral line is. And this right. is why I like just using the rules. Like, if you're not actually colluding, you can say whatever you want in the game. And as long as it's not harassment, like, you're fine. Because, like, you, the whole point of magic is you want to misdirect your opponent with the way you play anyway. Think about, think about this. If you're playing a pod and somebody draws, plays their second land or whatever, obviously it's a terrible hand, but you get the idea. If they play right. land, play land, they don't play their Thrasios when they could have, and they pass the turn. They just say, go. What They have said nothing. All they have done is play their magic cards, and yet they're saying a ton. Like, not playing Thrasios, that's opportunity yep. cost loss. Like, that card represents fears. Do you not have fears? Okay, you're, but you don't want to even get Thrasios in place, so are you... Are you holding up mana? You have counter spells, tutors. Do you yeah. have mana drink? Do you have, you know, all these things. These are all things that make your opponent think, and you're not telling them what's in your hand. You're not like, hey, uh, you know, I didn't play Thrasios here, but I actually only have a, a mystical tutor. I'm not going to counter. You're not saying that. Why not? Because you don't want your opponent to know what you have. You want right. them to think you could have a whole range of things. So you are trying to lie and misdirect your opponent based on the way you're playing magic. You're not even saying a word other than game rules and you are misdirecting your opponent. That's the point of the game. So like right. once you start, once voice stuff starts actually working, because it doesn't work that much. I mean, people try it in 1v1, right? Where people talk, they'll like say stuff that isn't true. They'll bluff. 
they'll right. be like, oh, I, you know, I should hold up interaction fine or what, you know, they'll say something like that where I should hold up my mystical dispute or I should hold up spell and those pass and they don't have it. People will say stuff like that and that's mm-hmm. completely in bounds and fine. But like most of the time doesn't always work because like you just snap call their bluff or whatever. And right. unless you're, you're, you actually have it, you're like really <laughs> leading them the long game. It's not really it's, worth your time. And it's interesting too, though, because like, I feel like people are more willing in one V one to like make your opponent call your bluff because the punishment for call then call like you calling their bluff is way less severe in one V one. I feel like than it is in three, like four player magic. Right. Yeah. I think that's why it works so well. Is it a lot easier to strike fear in people because the blowouts are so punishing in CDH that people actively play differently because they're scared. They have fear of getting blown out. They have fear of looking foolish in front of four people. They have all of this like insecurity and this fear that's built up in this format. And it's created a different culture. And that's probably why there's such a visceral reaction to lying to people because you look like a fool in front of everybody. Like that sucks. People don't want that to happen. But like, at the end of the day, like that, that can happen. That will happen when you're playing right. for, you know, you can still misplay and you're going to look like a fool or whatever. Like who cares? Everybody misplays like, Oh, you fell for, for a lie. Okay. That happens. You know, it was convincing happens like, to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Like the fear is where you run into issues and the fear is what's causing these people to be like, Drake, you're such a scumbag. You would lie to people and yeah, you're going to get obliterated in every pod for the rest of your life. No, that's not true. If I lied mm-hmm. in the finals of, um, of punt city that I'm playing this weekend. If I lied in the finals and it led to me directly winning the game, it would be a huge discussion. And about half the people would be like, Drake played great. And about half the people would be like, I can't believe Drake did that. I'm never believing him again. And the immediate next tournament I play, I guarantee you less than one person, a pod is going to suddenly not trust me less than Mm -hmm. one person, a pod. It's not going to have this sweeping effect. I'm not going to be canceled forever because I tell the truth. Most of the time, I don't try to get one over on people. Most of the time, I literally just explain the board state. And so if I did pull that off, like, I don't think it would be held as some huge immoral thing. It would be held as good job, which is Mm -hmm. what happens in the 60 card formats. And people overrate how much people like in the CDH community think lying is not something you should do, I think. And Mm -hmm. as a result, we have these weird discussions that are just talking past each other on Twitter. Yeah. And I think that's part of the like in the reason I like wanted to define lying a little bit is because I think because, and this is kind of a result of like CEDH, first of all, is a terrible term for competitive EDH. Correct. <laughs> yes, it is. It's awful. We, we, I was just talking to Sinestro about this the other day and we were like, if we could go back in time and stop them from calling it CEDH, we would do it so fast because it is a complete misrepresentation of it. It's just, EDH pushed all the way to its end, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's when you really boil it down, as long as you're not at a tournament, CEDH plays a lot similarly to the way uh, casual EDH plays. Mm -hmm. The only difference is the cards you're playing, in my opinion. Like that's I it just came out today, which is Wednesday. So I guess this would have been like four days ago when people by the time this comes out. Is I said this on the uh, Gemstone Mine uh, podcast where I actually talk about in depth my Survivor analogy. I think the the reason I like Survivor so much as an analogy and why I feel like it's really helped me as a Magic player, especially specifically in the context of Commander, is that it's 
shown me how to play any deck at any power level because mm-hmm. you, I, I just don't have casual decks anymore because I know I can just, Oh, I'm playing at a lower power pod shirt. Sure, I just won't turbo out my pieces. I'm not yeah, going I won't to cast my mana crypt, whatever. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> going to cast my mana crypt until like a certain point. I'm going to try to like match the pace of the table. And like, if you can learn how to just, amend your play based on your environment you can play any deck anywhere and Mm -hmm. have great success and have a good time i agree and it's it's one of those things that and the reason i say that to bring this all home (laughs) (laughs) is uh the fact that like in cedh i think there is to your point, because you see it happen and Ken brought it up is deals do get made. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I would say outside of a, I need we as a table in order to not lose right now uh, should not do more often than not, because like deals generally don't work out for anybody above, because if I offer you a deal I'm probably not telling you why I'm offering you that deal. Exactly. Obviously. So you have to try to figure that out. It's a whole sub game of why is this deal favorable for you that you would offer it? Exactly. Or mutually beneficial. Is it mutually beneficial? Great questions to ask. Right. <clears throat> and I mean, even, even the deal that I brought up earlier where it does it like the sort of fire and ice situation. Yes. It does buy us a turn. It also saves my Najila for a turn that lets me, be able to play another land that lets me be able to get another attack through. And with only two opponents, that's way maybe you easier. Najila math. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like, you draw Jeremy. Maybe you draw whatever. Like keeping Najila on the board for another turn is like bad news bears for everybody else. And it's great Correct. news for me, but we mm-hmm. also survived. So like, yes, I am off. I'm like giving you that deal because we kind of need to not die, but also I really don't want you to pour, point your sort of fire and ice at my Najila. Exactly. So like there, there's always some sort of like, like, and I think that's the thing with the lying thing that I think isn't getting mentioned in the conversation on Twitter because Twitter is a hellscape. Um, <laughs> is this idea that like, you shouldn't lie and take a deal and then go back on it, but it's okay to offer a misleading deal. Right. Like, yes, that, that, the that other is, side that of that coin, the temperature. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think anybody's talking about the, that other side of the coin where I, I think my, like, because I want to clarify for everybody at home, my initial understanding of this entire discussion when I was commenting on Twitter was you should lie all the time, 24 seven, every single game. And I'm like, you and I both agreed. We're like, that ain't going to work chief. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's so frustrating that people take out of context sentences. And then, I mean, I obviously these people don't know me, but it is strange right. to me. This doesn't really happen that much in 60 card. It happens. Some miscommunication always happens in Twitter is always a hellscape, but in yeah. CDH people for some reason are accustomed to getting like, extremely excruciating detail. Whereas I prefer 
a little bit more concise statements and right. put reliance on the the readers or listeners or whatever to take into account obvious context. Like just if you spend 30 seconds thinking about how games of CDH play out and how a community works, you can be like, oh, if you lie all the time, you're going to be taken as a scumbag and no one's going to like that. OK, great. It, it is quite frustrating because I feel like this narrative has been driven where like obviously I've had multiple people be like, man, you and that Drake guy just don't get along. And I'm like, it's fine. (laughs) I I don't really have any specific issues. I mean, obviously sometimes, you know, I feel like the context is stripped away and I prefer to have that added on rather than not. But like, you know, I I don't hang my pride, my personality, my brand on any specific thing that I say. I, I trust like I trust my experiences. I trust the things that I've learned over time. And I trust the things that people say to me and that you know, follow common sense. Like if someone came up to me, he's like, Drake, you are completely wrong about taking deals and just laid out this very eloquent and believable argument. I'm not going to dig my heels in and be like, Oh, that that's a really good example. I didn't really think about that. I probably mm-hmm. should mention that in the future or whatever. Like I'm not above changing my perception. I mean, Mikey changes my mind on things all the time. And I think that's something that it could stand to happen a little more often in CDH, mm-hmm. people get very, very set. And it makes sense. Commander is designed. The reason it's so successful is you attach yourself to something. You say, I'm right. the Najila guy or right. I'm the whatever. You get attached to decks and ideas and the work that you've put in. I mean, how many people just gloat about how proud they are of their 12, you know, page primers that they right. put just infinite effort into. That's awesome. That's cool. But like stares at the Gitrog primer. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, if I go around and say, I don't think Gitrog's a very good deck and it, you know, it's past its time. Like those people are going to lose their mind, lose their mind. And mm-hmm. they lose their mind because they put all this time and effort in and they view, they view themselves and the deck as one and the same. And it's interesting. This dovetails nicely into another topic. We're going to discuss on the channel with Claire from uh, who brewed this anxiety elemental on Twitter um, about how some of the, because she and I had a very interesting discussion about how the reaction to Reed Duke's very banal commander article mm-hmm. um, of he should stay in his lane and not talk about commander. And like, there's a whole lot of stuff that plays into it. There's a lot of history, obviously where for like a really long time, right? Like, a lot of people kind of wrote off commander and was just like, Oh, that's not a real format. And so there's like a bunch of factors into that of one, there's a lot of low self-esteem and kind of baked in in a little bit of like people just kind of have a chip on their shoulder in CEDH in general, because of that kind of history already. Then you layer on top of it, you have people tie their brand in their identities to decks and like certain commanders or certain archetypes so closely. I mean, like I, I literally have a show on this where two of the people are known as the mono white guys. Like the, like you don't have that in 60 card formats the same way. Right. Like, you sure. sometimes, I mean, look at legacy, right? You have legacy specialists. It happens. Yeah. But well, and that's like format specialist though. D- that's different because True. this is like a whole format. We're talking about I only play white. Like I think the closest I could get is like Bryant 
plays like almost exclusively Storm. Mm-hmm. And Caleb Shear plays like exclusively Storm. And that's like the cl- and those two don't only just play Storm. So it's like it's a very different dichotomy, I feel like, in Commander, where because people wrap so much of their identity into their commanders, that any criticism towards it, plus layer that with the already low self-esteem that people have in the chip on their shoulder, where and, and this is not a criticism of CDH as general. This is just kind of like the natural effects of how like shit has gone down for the last 10 years. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a problem. Like this is something I yeah. brought up before too. I think you're, you're touching on something extremely important. I brought this up with playing with power at one point in time when they were talking about like approaching, making the format more approachable for new people. It's like, a lot of CDH, what you're getting at, I think, is a lot of CDH actually doesn't want to grow. And that's what we're seeing mm-hmm. in action with the Reed Duke thing. CDH does not want people. I made a post about this a long time ago. It was this huge thread about how I, I actually don't think I'm welcomed by a lot of people in this community. And I do mm-hmm. still think that's true. People do not want CDH to grow. They got, you know, whatever. They are too, they're playing too powerful decks for the casual table. So the casuals don't want anything to do with them. And then the actual spikes, the tournament grinders, you know, half of them don't even know what CDH is and they just kind of laugh at you like, okay, casual, you're playing commander. Come on. If you wanted to right. play a tournament, go play limited or play standard or whatever. And like that, that leaves a bad taste in all of CDH's mouth. So when I come from a 60 card background into the format, I'm like, hey, I've actually been playing this format for whatever, five, six years at this point. Um, like, and I, I learned to play it on tapped out and like on all the lists and stuff. Like I get a lot oh, of you poor wretched soul. reactions. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, literally, I mean, shout out Jim Wolfie. This, I, I looked at their, uh, their melt banana deck list many moons ago. And I was like, oh, oh this looks God, like, this looks like my speed. Baby. Oh, I love that deck. But like, that's that's like I mean I've been playing this format for quite a long time and mm-hmm. I enter this format and I, I start actually taking it a lot more seriously post um, post pandemic and the reaction is that like oh you're a newcomer you don't know what you're talking about like you're a toxic 60 card grinder and like I am somewhat abrasive I'm somewhat aggressive in my opinions so like I get it mm-hmm. I'm used to that but it was so much more impassioned than anywhere else I've ever interacted especially as a newcomer. That's so interesting to me because I feel like you and I come from like similar backgrounds in that regard to CEDH because prior to 2020, like the latter half of 2020, I was like the most interaction I had with like the greater CEDH community was I was the guy who made the Lavinia primer. Um, And that was like, about it but i had been playing like Najila and tnt and all 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 the classics right since like mm-hmm. 2016 like i've been playing the format forever um well not as long as pongo but um <laughs> pongo pongo sometimes will like to remind me exactly how long he's been playing magic uh and specifically <laughs> command or uh cdh but Brian does um, the same thing to me. He's like, I back in my day, I was playing with Tolarian Academy. All right, all right, Brian, whatever, man. I'm like, okay, I, <laughs> I don't know. know. <laughs> I, I guess. Listen, I remember. Time, but you've been around longer. I get it. <laughs> I remember when uh, dramatic reversal was spoiled and people lost their minds mm. because mm-hmm. they were like, oh my gosh. And then the set after that was Commander 16. And they were like, wait, so you gave us infinite mana? under an ice crown scepter and an outlet in the command zone. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Un- unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, it was those two sets. And then we had uh, either revolt right after commander 16, which gave us paradox engine. So it was mm-hmm. like 
three sets all in a row where it was just like the format got completely flipped upside down. Um, Aetherflux Reservoir. That was the big one. I remember Aetherflux that. Reservoir. Any deck can be a Storm deck now. <laughs> it's still good. Uh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's all right. It's like it's good sweet. in it, anyway. It's good in spots. Um, Agreed. <laughs> but so like when I started the show, like my reception into the community was, and perhaps this was because I like the way I formatted the show or whatever. But a lot of the reason that I started this was at the behest of Braden, who was like, you talk a lot on Twitter. You should just start a podcast. Hey, you come from a radio background. You should just start a podcast. And eventually he wore me down and I did. Uh, <laughs> Good old Braden. And uh, he was also my entrance into the, the larger community outside yeah. my little pocket of figuring it out myself kind of things. Yeah. And so I, I started doing it and like eventually people just kind of were like, yeah. So like, like I got like a fairly reasonably good welcome to the community, which was weird uh, because like I didn't outside of like playing Lavinia and those things. Like I didn't have like a prior basis of like, like I wasn't a former tournament grinder. I think part of that, like uh reception difference comes from, I came back, came in as a like, local local guy who organizes some local CEDH events and comes in and, and has a deck on the database, but that's about it. Doesn't really talk a whole lot and started a podcast. And the difference is, is like, I guess I just didn't come with any baggage that wasn't actually my baggage, which is kind <laughs> of unfortunate for you because yeah, like you're walking in and people already have like all these all this baggage from 60 card players and you just kind of get hit with it. And so like, it is very unfortunate, Um, but we'll go on record saying that. I do think you're one of the good ones. I like, I appreciate I'm I'm one of the good ones. I I am quite happy that you, Bryant, uh, Phil and Brian have started playing the format a lot because I think I I am of the opinion that more eyes on the format is a good thing um, because like maybe I'm missing something. I discover new things every day, right? We overlook like I think a great example is the way a lot of people like overlooked Tavesh when Tavesh was spoiled. And for like a good six months, Tavesh has just sat on sat in people's bulk piles. And then one person put took it on a stream and then suddenly Tavesh is all over the database. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like in such a big format, more eyes is only a good thing. And I like having eyes, especially of people who have experience of playing in tournaments and especially as the tournament scene grows, like <laughs> we need more Drake Sassers to come around and like, <laughs> Be like, hey, this is how tournaments work. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's a shocking the amount of things that are held as common sense to like 60 card tournament grinders that are revolutionary, it seems, to some some CDH players. Some people agree with me. Some people don't. I'm a very controversial person, but most of what I'm expressing are things that are just good faith assertions of 
you know, assumptions about tournaments and, and not even assumptions. They're just truths at this point. Cause like, you know, we've been through the ringers. We've seen what people mm-hmm. are willing to do for money. We've seen what succeeds over the course of uh, intense pressure, just tournaments weekend and week out. Like we're never going to see that again in magic the gathering. We're never going yeah. to see the density of tournaments we had pre pandemic where it was every other weekend with something huge yeah. and open a GP or whatever. And we really got to see the pressure that puts on formats and <clears throat> what breaking those formats looks like and what a solved format looks like. There's, I got a huge argument about that the other day and it's like, you know, I, I hate to break it to you, but CDH could be solved. It's just not going to be because it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. And like, but you can get close. You can figure out that some decks are better than other decks. You can learn a lot and you can basically dwindle down the number of decks that you think are reasonable choices to win a tournament. That's like a completely right. reasonable process. And it doesn't involve, you know, needing massive amounts of data. It doesn't involve, you know, needing to know specific tournament metagames. It, it just doesn't like you can learn what is objectively powerful and consistent outside of you know, a lot of the things that people think you need in order to figure a format out in order to truly like solve a format as best as you can. Like modern doesn't get solved on the back of like a ton of data and stuff and all this, it gets solved based on what's just like wins tournaments week in and week out. And people find those decks that they don't just know people don't just look at it and go, I don't know, this has got to be the best deck. Like you have to actually figure that stuff out. And then even beyond that in modern right now, like, people are building it different. Like there's still different variations. There's still different builds, even with the pressure that modern has on it. It's not solved, but there's a defined metagame and CDH doesn't even have that. So we're so far from being solved. It's something that I think we should start working towards. And that's something I've asserted. And it's something I think is very possible, but see people that actually CDH is solved and the best decks are known are just completely have no idea what they're talking about. This is not true at all. And it can be. And like, this is, these are the things I come to the format saying, these are just truths. This is right. how magic works. It's still magic. It's still magic the gathering and it still operates under the same framework as any other format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, I would love to talk about that solved thing in more like <laughs> detail, topics. but that's like a whole nother hour podcast. So I've already taken up a lot of your time, which I really appreciate you uh, taking time to talk with me and listen to me ramble and completely forget what I was saying in the middle of a sentence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it happens to all of us. It definitely happens but, to all of us. Uh, uh, so for the folks who are at home listening, however they may be listening, um, it's probably in your recommended tab for us on Spotify or uh, uh, what is it? Apple Podcasts or however you're listening to your podcast. But where can people find you? What's the show that you do with CDH? All that jazz. Yeah, so I uh, I have my own podcast. It's called The Miscast alongside Mikey Hollihan. You referenced earlier. He is my mm-hmm. CDH specialist that I chose to bring on and uh, be the victim of my ramblings about <laughs> 60 card formats. So it's a really good show. It's a good time. He and I are good friends and we do it completely as a passion project. We don't make a dime off the show. So you know, if you're into just two people talking about uh, trying to figure out competitive commander, check that show out. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Miscast MTG. We do check that Twitter very often and uh, we will respond if you want to reach either Mikey or myself. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you want to find me personally, you can find me at viral underscore Drake. I'm causing drama all the time on my Twitter account, intentionally or not. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Moxfield, just viral Drake, no underscore. And you can see what I'm working on. But yeah, so, but it's great, great to talk to you. Glad to have you on the show. And I'm glad we were able to kind of discuss this and show, just kind of demonstrate that like our opinions are not that far away from each other. Like, I agree. 
The, the problem is there's so much. There's so much under yeah. the politics umbrella that naturally I can't talk about everything exhaustively. And so someone's going to find some way to construe things in a different way. And I think that's very much what happened. I think you and I are on the same page for the most part. And I, I, think I would agree. If we played a pod together, I don't think there would be huge shouting arguments <sighs> or anything. I think we would just play magic with normal people. <laughs> you would try to just figure out how many times I just sit there. If there's like a Magda or a Kinnon, I'm just like, hey, we should probably kill that. Hey, we should probably kill that. Hey, we should As probably kill that. Najila, like, okay, Najila, all right, simmer down. <laughs> I'm killing everything if I'm killing anything. Here's my fire coming. It's all dead. Get out of here. <laughs> Well, that about wraps things up for us here this week. Thank you again for tuning in to this episode and listening to the podcast. If you liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to rate us on whatever podcast platform you are on. And if you are listening on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and tell me down in the comments what your favorite part of the show was. Also want to give a extra shout out and thanks to our top tier patrons, Justin, Adam Hamden, David Snavely, Diane Chase, Jason Bialik, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. If you too would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at the mind sculptors, I'm Callahan and we'll see you next time.